How can you do all that needs done in life and still pursue your desire to learn French or the guitar or grow a plant or make art? You can't put a fiddle under your pillow and wake up playing it, though how cool would that be? But one thing we can do, no matter how chaotic and overwhelming life can be, is know that every tiny small motion in the direction of those endeavors really do matter. And not only that, they add up over time with great momentum. Join me, Annie Fane Barillon, as I interview painters and gardeners, designers and musicians, photographers and cooks, creative livers of any kind, who have somehow, in the middle of it all, continued on their creative paths, no matter what. This is Fane House Radio, and I'm so glad you're here. So my name is Tipper Presley, and I'm from Brasstown, North Carolina. And the most creative endeavors, I feel like my entire life is filled with creativeness, so it's kind of hard for me to narrow it down. But uh, probably the primary, one of the primary things would be creative writing. So I write about Appalachian. I've been doing that for a long time. Uh, I have a blog, so there's also a uh, creative part of actually putting the blog together and the web. Think of it as a website, so you're putting pictures and you know putting things here and there. there there's a creativity to that, which is awesome. Um, also, I, I like to think of being creative in my daily life, whether it's growing a garden or you know putting up food. I think those are all great forms of creativity. I also play the bass for my family, so music is a huge part of my life. Uh, so lots of creativity. I, I just I think I go about like that. It's maybe not in the um, what other people think of. A lot of times you think creativity, you think painting or something like that. But I just see it in every part of my life as I go about my way. A way of yeah, seeing things. Yeah, yeah. What did making things mean to your family when you were a child? Oh gosh, I grew up in a very creative family. So um, my mother, she was, she p did paint, she crocheted, she sewed, she made quilts, she made lots of our clothes when we were small. So she was always into something. I remember one stage where she would, uh, her and a lady down the road, they got into hunting um, like barn wood, which is really popular. Again, now it's funny how things go in cycles like that. But they would hunt those pieces of barn wood and then they would decorate them with little things and hang them around, you know. Uh, she loved Christmas and so there's lots of Christmas decorations uh, with cotton, quilt and batten and things like that. So lots of different things. My father, of course, was a, a musician, so there was that. But he also was really creative with his hands. So he would build cabinets. And I remember one time him and mother built Christmas trains. He made all the trains and she decorated them. So it, again, it was kind of part of our lives, whether it was um, mother sewing on a quilt or daddy building a sled or building a new cabinet for someone. He was also a carpenter, so he built houses, but it was just kind of a creative space to grow up in. And did they do those things around you or would they try to pull you in or teach you things? They were always open to us. Um, I have two brothers to us being part of whatever they were doing. Now, we weren't always willing <laughs> sometimes or sometimes vice versa. Like I can remember the whole train, um, Christmas train project one year. And Granny actually, my mother, I call her Granny now that we have, uh, once they grandkids come along, they turn from mom and daddy to Granny and Pap. But uh, she actually sold those, but I remember, so it was kind of like a little enterprise going on in the basement. So I really wanted to be part of that, but I was kind of too little. So they kind of would give me my stuff. Well, you go over to the side and here's you some things and you work on them. And two of the little, which is just really 
very simple, I mean, not even nothing that nobody else would probably want. Little things I made that day, I still have, and I put them out every Christmas. So, uh, but they were always willing for us to be part of it. Sometimes I, like, she always wanted to show me how to crochet. And when I wanted to learn, maybe she was too busy. And then by the time she really wanted me to learn, I wasn't interested. I was too, you know, busy being a teenager and running about and doing what I wanted to do. Uh, but they definitely were always willing to share. And especially with the music, uh, Pap, he really shared that on and, and passed on his, his love of music to, to all of us. And now you have two daughters who make jewelry and crochet and they play music too. So it has passed right along, hadn't it? It has. Uh, I've never really thought about it till I, we talked previously about what we would talk about today. I, and then I really began to see like this really uh, long line of from uh, mother and you know daddy and, and then passed on to me. And then like you said, now my children are very creative, both of them. Uh, and they're grown women. So I hope that they'll pass that on to their children as well. That's so fun. What was it like growing up in a family of musicians? Because you were surrounded on all sides. I was, yes. It was wonderful to always, it's like you always had background music, no matter what you were doing. Um, and it, it's strange. I really, as a child, I didn't know that everybody else's family wasn't like that. I thought everybody's family had that, you know. And I remember one time, I'm in the middle of my two brothers. So my older brother, Steve, and my younger brother, Paul, there's a large, like nine years, I guess, between them. So Steve was already out, you know, had a job and would be gone working, and, and but he had to share a room with Paul, which was nine years difference. And so when me and Paul would play, of course, that's one of the places we would play. And Steve didn't like for us to be in his, he had music, he had cassette tapes, that was when they had just come out. And then he, of course, he had records and he didn't like for us to bother his stuff. But of course, once he was gone, we listened to his music. <laughs> but one day we were listening to, he had this like a compilation, uh, three record album of country music. And we were listening to it. And one of our favorites on it was a Merle Haggard song. Um, and we were talking about it. And I said, well, you know, Paul, we should just ask him to come over. And even though I was, I'm uh, five years older or four years older than Paul, he was smarter than me because he was like, why would he come to our house? And I was like, well, somebody's always coming to our house. You know, somebody's always playing. Somebody's always picking and grinning in the kitchen. Why wouldn't he come? But so I really literally just thought everybody was like us, you know, and that even Merle Haggard might show up and play one day. So uh, I think I didn't fully realize that, though, till I got older and then thought, oh, my goodness, everybody wasn't, you know, there wasn't always somebody sitting on the couch picking a guitar when you were trying to watch your favorite TV show. It was, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it was different, but it was an amazing and I'm very thankful and blessed that I grew up in a musical family. I love that you were going to invite Merle Haggard to your house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just thought, why not? Somebody's always coming, you know, he might come too. He sounds like us. He's, you know, so, yeah, yeah. There was also lots of singing and harmony singing of the old songs. Yeah, yeah. Dad had a great love for music and, and his, he, I think he, growing up, he, he was influenced by probably lots of people, but his grandmother played the piano by ear and, and she loved music. Um, and then he was influenced by a lot of the, that was in the days when all they had was a radio. If they were lucky, they had a radio. So he listened to a lot of the radio shows and he was influenced by them, but he, he remembered those songs and they just somehow become part of him. And sometimes he would, as 
once we were grown, even especially with Paul, he would tell Paul, I, I remembered a song and he would think of, you know, maybe a, a two or three lines of it from childhood. And the wonderful thing about today, you can just go to the internet and find, you know, so a lot of those songs, Paul would find them and let him hear them, you know. Um, and I can remember one of them he was playing one time and I had, of course, I can't remember the name of the song at the moment, but he, dad kind of teared up and, and Paul said, you know, what does it make you sad? And he said, oh no, it takes me back. So it, it was like he was, you know, thinking back to when he was a boy, when he'd first heard it from someone. So he, he had such a love of those songs that he passed that on to, um, again, to us and then to my girls do some of the songs that he taught me and Paul and Steve and we grew up around and now Corey and Katie are doing them. I feel really lucky to have heard um, your dad sing more when I was a kid, but he had the tenor part, right? Wouldn't he sing a little mm -hmm. bit that higher part? Just so yeah. awesome. Yeah, he had a beautiful tenor voice. Yeah. In your mind, how does your Appalachian heritage influence the ways that you enjoy getting your hands in things and making things and doing things? It's, it's kind of, that's, I would say that's, that creativity is one of the traits of Appalachians, even going back, uh, kind of like we were saying, you could see it through my family from uh, daddy and mother to my, my generation, me and my brothers, and then our grand, our, their grandkids, mom and daddy's grandkids. But even prior to them, like my granny Gazzy was a quilter, uh, my big grandma on uh, my dad's side, the one that played the piano. So that was his grandma mother she quilted and she played the piano you know so I, I think that's I think you know a lot of times and not just in Appalachia of course I like to always say people all over the world had it rough in those days you know not just here but in the midst of those trials I think they looked for that I think that was a strong thread throughout the history of Appalachia is that they looked for that thread of creativity just to have something to brighten their day whether they were maybe they'd worked in the field all day but it was nice to sit down and uh, embroidery, you know, in the evening or whittle or, or, you know, carve something, all those things. So I think that, I think that just still is something today that people, they enjoy work. It's kind of like we used to joke about Pap that he loved, he was like somebody that, that was his hobby to work. He wanted to work hard, you know, and I think that's true for a lot of people, but then they also take great joy, even today, the same way our ancestors did in that creativity, whether it's making a quill or, uh, writing a blog post or singing a song or picking a tune, all those things. Yeah. Or making cornbread. <laughs> yeah. Or making cornbread or, uh, you know, putting up food for the winter and then looking at it on the, on your shelves and seeing all the pretty colors and just knowing that you did that and for your family. But at the same time, you admire the beauty, the creativity, the beauty of this, how pretty those jars are. Um, and it's when you put stuff in a jar like that, I always think, you can, it's almost like when I open a jar of tomatoes, that beautiful red color in the winter, it's almost like I can feel the sunshine and remember myself starting the seed and then planting it in the garden and then nurturing it and then harvesting it with the sun on your arms, you know, and the sounds of the jar flies or whatever. And then you take it in and process it. And then there you are eating it on a cold winter day. Yeah. Yeah. That's the good stuff right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the idea of you know, some people feel like being creative is like a cool club and they can't be part of it, but actually it's everything in everything and everywhere. And it's how you see things and that you're noticing that red of the tomatoes and, and it just makes life sweeter. It does. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, if you can just walk with a walk, the creative walk, which doesn't mean necessarily, not that painting or crocheting or uh, carving or any of those things are not wonderful. They are. But if you could just see your whole day, you know, you could create, um, even serving your supper, you could creatively <laughs> make your table look nice or put it, serve it on the plate and it looks beautiful, even down to something that simple. Yes, I love that. Tell us a little bit about the blind pig and the acorn and your celebrating Appalachian Heritage YouTube channel. Okay. So I started the blind pig and the acorn almost 13 years ago, or really over 13 years ago. It'll be 14 in March of this year, the next March. It's amazing. Um, but I started it in an effort to preserve these kind of Appalachian things we're talking about and to celebrate, to like celebrate the culture, the all the wonderful things about it, you know, from the language to the food to the landscape we live in the folklore all those things and i've really enjoyed it it's hard for me to believe i've been doing it that long but i, I really it's just a, a passion something i really care about deeply obviously or i wouldn't still be doing it i think i must have like one of the records for the longest blogger <laughs> out there but um during the 2020 the crazy year of 2020 I decided I, you know, I wish I could reach people in a different way. We already, way back in 2008, when I started the Blind Pig and the Acorn, we immediately, I say we, I'm talking about me and Paul, immediately wanted to put our music, the family's music as part of it. So we immediately started a YouTube channel then for our music, Blind Pig and the Acorn channel, YouTube channel. If you find that, it's all of our music. It's like a time capsule almost. Because um, uh, my dad, Pap, has now passed away, but he's in tons of videos on there. You can see my girls as they progressed. You can see my nephews when they were young, and now they're both grown and married. So we started that then, but but I never really, so when I started thinking about this other way of, of reaching people, I wanted to do it through video, but I didn't really want to mess up what that kind of music that we'd created uh, there, that whole, you know, it's kind of like an archive of our family. So I decided to start another channel, so the Celebrate Appalachia channel. And it just has been wonderful. I've received a lot of great feedback and people seem to really enjoy it. Just talking about the everyday stuff, like I was saying, those everyday little small things that need to be celebrated, whether it is how to make cornbread or, um, you know, walking through the garden or talking about the old ways or the folklore or our language. I'm crazy about the Appalachian language. So that's a big part of it. And for anybody who later goes to check it out, I thought it was great, the interview where your husband's interviewing you. And I think that that was really cool yeah. to hear. And you're mixing this new technology with old, old ways of speaking and ways of doing things and memories you have. And I think that's pretty fun, too, because you're mixing old and new to create that. That's been one of the things that I've always loved about the blind pig and the acorn. I anybody that reads it or watches my videos will see quickly that I love those old ways but but I too love our modern you know conveniences I don't want an outhouse and I don't I'm glad for my running water I love heat I love all the modern uh, things that we have of course modern medicine and all that but but so many of those old ways fit perfectly in our modern day lives they still work they still you know working with your hands being creative uh, the language as a way to communicate all those things still fit perfectly um, but it is amazing that i one of the things i've been most amazed about all of it especially blind pig and the acorn is that 
I can sit in my little place, my little spot in Brasstown and write, and there's people all over the world, literally, that read it, that want to know about Appalachia. You know, that's such an awe. I'm just in awe of it still, just an amazing thing. And I think, I hope that I've, I've shown a true light on Appalachia because there's so many bad things that people highlight. And I'm just about showing the good parts. And, and there's lots of good parts. There's more good parts than there is bad, just like there is with anywhere else either. Uh, I mean, anywhere else, but it's just the Appalachia is my home. So that's the only one I can talk about. But there's so many things to celebrate. How did you land on naming it the blind pig and the acorn? Back then, when I first decided what I wanted to do, of course, I wanted it to have a meaningful name. I wanted to have something that meant something, and I thought of all kinds of things. But at that time, my mother-in-law, Miss Cindy, she had a friend named Larry, and he was just kind of one of those people that's good at, at all sorts of things. And she knew all about what I was planning to do. So she said, why don't I ask Larry to come up with some names? And I said, okay, sure, you know, I'm open to anything. So he sent me this whole list of names, and that was one of them, Blind Pig and the Acorn. And I said, what does that mean? What do you, I mean, where, where did that come from? I really like it, but where did it come from? And he said, well, there's an old saying, uh, even a blind pig can find an acorn every once in a while. So I said, I've never heard that saying. And my husband, Matt, who grew up like four counties away from, from me here in Brasstown, he said, oh, I've heard that all my life. Well, I didn't trust him. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I went to ask my daddy, ask Pap. I went down to Pap's house and I said, have you ever heard this saying? And he said, no, I've not heard that one, but it's the same thing as a broke clock is right twice a day. <laughs> so, so anyway, so it just really spoke to me because I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to try to do this and maybe like the blind pig, I'll find the acorn, you know, so I can thank Mr. Larry. He's no longer with us. He's passed away, but he gave me the name. What's been filling up your inspiration cup these days? So many things. Um for talking about the blind pig and the acorn and the celebrate Appalachia channel, always comments from people, people sharing their stories, sharing their experiences. That's always inspiring to hear how they, how they look at things or, or their experiences with whether it's food or the language or remedies or folklore or whatever. Those are always inspiring. And a lot of times they jog my memory about things that I didn't think about that I've not thought about, or they share a word. They say, well, I think this is really unique and they'll share some kind of phrase or word and I'm like it is because we say that all the time so there's so many things I don't really focus on being part of Appalachian language or even um, that I remember so that's definitely one music always earlier this morning I was listening to Jay Unger and Molly Mason who could listen to their fiddle tunes and not just be inspired to go do anything you know write a book do I mean just you just I can just feel creativity coming to me when I listen to them and to lots of other uh, musicians, but just music and, the, and living in Appalachia, there's so many great things, but gosh, our landscape to look out at the blue mountains this time of the year, thinking about it, to hear the creeks and to hear the jar flies and the Katie dids at night, all, all are inspiring. And we're right on the edge of the season changing and you can feel it each day. Yeah, We're like yeah. one, one minute closer to fall time and you can feel it. Yeah, exactly. And I love that. I love being close enough to the land to, to really notice those things. Do you have any last words of encouragement for someone who is trying so hard to make and do in the middle of things? 
my encouragement would be to to give yourself grace to to give yourself time back in the in the days when i first started and my girls were young i think they were in about fifth grade when i started the blind pig and the acorn uh, there is things that pull you away and then you're frustrated and all that but know that for one thing things are ch- constantly changing your kids are constantly getting more independent so that day's coming uh, another thing is, as you, whatever you're doing, whether it's writing like me or if it was uh, painting or whatever, I'm sure, the more you do it, the more confident you get and the less time it takes you to do it. People used to tell me when when they, and in the very beginning, the Blind Pig and the Acorn was not a daily blog. It is a daily blog now every day, but it was not. And I was not working full time either. I was working part time and the kids were little, but it kind of like those first two years or so give me time to like work up to them. By the time I was working full time outside the house, outside of home, I, I, w- I could manage it better, in other words. So just to know that that day's coming when you'll have it all better under control. And something that works really good for me in those times when you like, well, you know, the kids have to go to these activities and I'm just sitting there waiting and all those kind of things is during that waiting time I use that for you know to jot down stuff to be create to think of like to brainstorm I took books with me and would flip through them and be like oh I could write about this and I could write about that and I could do this so kind of use that waiting time to to plan so then when you then the window little window and sometimes it is like that it's only like I've got 30 minutes I've got to be creative now (laughs) well how do you make yourself but if you've kind of done that prep work then maybe you're like you can put your you're like oh I was thinking this and I was really moved by this and then maybe you can put yourself back because it's hard to be creative on demand it's hard to turn it on but I found that worked for me if I could use those those moments when I could not create but I was yet not busy like cooking supper or something if I was sitting somewhere waiting that I could kind of jot down stuff and then when I did have time it was like I'd already done that and I could put myself back into that creative space and be like oh yeah I was thinking and I loved that you know I love this thought or whatever that is such great advice you know the idea that if you do a little bit all the time it's like you're building your muscle and that that will save you time in the future because you'll be quicker at it that is a great way to think about it and then also like you're saying, sometimes you're at the dentist's office using that time to have those little ideas and when they come and having a notebook with you and that kind of thing. And also it helps us feel like we're always kind of in the flow. And even if we're doing all our daily duties and it's not like we've stopped the creative juices. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And if you think about it, like if you just, cause I know, especially with little kids, your life is so busy. You have no time, but 1% you think, well, I can't manage like half my day or anything, but 1%, maybe you could, you know, maybe you could make, and then, but that 1% over time, turns into a a large percent, you know, you get there, even if it's small little baby bites or baby steps at a time. Yes. So we just shouldn't give up. No. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And I know that's hard when you're in the trenches. I felt like that lots of times, but now looking back, I can see why I was successful because I just kind of kept, even if on some days it was just barely a little inch, you know, maybe it was a half a percent, but it was something. So I can see that I can see it clearly from my vantage point. So just trust me, keep going. Keep (laughs) Keep going. going. (laughs) Well, I love talking to you. I I could ask you a hundred million questions and I just really appreciate you talking with me today. I really appreciate it. Well, I enjoyed it so much. Thank you. If you 
you'd like to be in touch or have someone you would love to hear interviewed, email me at afainhouse at gmail.com. I also hope that you're inspired to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. New episodes come out every other Tuesday. If you would like to watch these interviews in video form and are curious about the happenings of my little business called Fane House, where I paint and make art prints and gift cards from my watercolor originals, I'd love for you to sign up for my email list. When you do, you get a coupon for 10% off a one-time purchase in my Etsy shop and first dibs on my annual limited edition calendar printing. You will also be granted access to our free private Facebook group, which is the one spot you can watch these interviews. If this all sounds fun to you, go to your web browser and type bit.ly backslash to sign up. That's with a capital F and a capital H in Fainhouse. This is not a weekly newsletter, but rather a list of folks who are interested in hearing from me time to time. You can find this link, as well as links for each person I interview, in the show notes of each episode. I'm Annie Fain Barillon. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll leave you with a quote for the day. Make an empty space in any corner of your mind, and creativity will instantly fill it. D. Hawk. <laughs>